o'clock. This conference will now started. be recorded. We have got a full house. Welcome back, Kristen. We have a full house and we have a full agenda today, so we're going to jump right into it. Uh, so to kick things off uh, with a connection before content, we're going to watch a short, like 90 second video. OK, um, and there is a method behind my madness, usually, at least I hope you think so. And uh, what you're going to see is some clips from pole vaulting. OK, uh, many of you know that that I was a pole vaulter when I was younger. And uh, yeah, I was actually. And um, here are some clips to watch. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, these. These are not me, by the way. So it, it, it is, it's actually, and, and I love the sport. I really do. And the thing that I love about pole vaulting is um, when it's done right, it's, it's very, very graceful. And in order to be good at it, and it's one of the reasons why I was not good at it, um, is you have to be completely fearless. And yet you have to also instill that grace in everything that you are doing. Now, one of the things that uh, some of you probably do know is that my youngest son uh, was also a pole vaulter. It was one of the greatest connections that we have, have had, uh, to be honest with you. And he was much better than I was and has continued his pole vaulting career um, uh, even beyond high school and now is a coach. He is coaching a, a high school team down in Richmond. And he just got back from uh, the National Pole Vault Summit where he was out there coaching 12 uh, athletes out in Reno. And when he got back, he posted something that I think is very relevant to being successful in not only pole vaulting, but what we do each and every day. So let me just read it. It's a very quick thing. He said, what I learned in Reno, and this is from the time that he spent with some Olympic athletes. And it's pretty simple, but it's one of those aha. He said, what I learned in Reno was our mindset can make or break your performance. Our mindset can make or break your performance. In pole vaulting, what that means is you have to be right spot on every time you jump or this happens. This happens. You have to go through the exact same routine every single time or this happens. Sometimes you do have equipment failure, but your routine 
I don't know if you know about pole vaulting, but the poles are designed to bend a certain way. So you have to hold the pole exactly the same way every time or it will bend a different way. You don't do that, some of this stuff happens. If you go in fearful, some of this stuff happens. If you don't approach it over the exact same way and with all of that skill set and not think as you're going, this happens. It's the same thing with what we do. Our mindset every single day can either positively affect or negative, negatively affect what we do every single day. So that is why it's important to take care of yourself. It's important to take care of each other because that way when you are here, you are better prepared and better aligned to have that best mindset being put forward and therefore affects your performance in a positive way. So just some fun stuff to think about. All right. If you do that, you get excellence in your day-to-day -day performance. And we used to do Catching Excellence Awards, and there was some requests to bring it back, and I was all for that. And about the time that we were having those conversations, I got this email. It said, hi, Justin. Uh, Justin is over with Office of Emergency Management. It said, my team would like to extend our sincere gratitude to the PRCS maintenance supervisor, Tim DePoy and his team of Jack McDougal, Jeff Jones, Mike Lay, and Joe Rhodes for their exceptional support during the time-constrained asset transfer from relocation to Red Rum storage. His team's generous assistance amidst their concurrent asset transfer significantly contributed to the health department's meeting the move deadline, and we greatly appreciate their remarkable effort and professionalism and look forward to working with the, this exceptional team in their in the forthcoming endeavors. Kim Goodhart, emergency coordinator with Loudoun County Health Department. A little background on that. The county used to have a huge storage facility down in by Chantilly, down by the airport. We lost the lease on that. We had a very short amount of time. We had stuff that was there. That's why Tim and his team were down there, but the county other had had stuff that was there also. During the time when Tim and his team were down there looking or, or helping to get our stuff out, there was a recognition that other people within the county needed help and they stepped in. And I think that all of you know this team because they have probably helped each one of you uh, with something at your site. And it's just uh, a pleasure to be able to recognize you all for that exceptional work that you do each and every day, but especially for stepping up and helping another department um, in, in such an unselfish but professional way. So if you all could come forward. I know you don't like this, but. Jack was not able to be with us today, so we'll get, be sure to get this too. But gentlemen, on behalf of the department, thank you for your exceptional work, and we appreciate everything that you do each and every day. So good well, job. Thank you. <laughs> they might have got me if I did. No, no, no. <laughs>
All right. So one of the other things that we wanted to recognize today was our department is is very blessed to have commitment within our um, our workforce, and and that shows up each and every day. But it also shows up periodically when we are recognized for uh, the longevity that we have with people uh, electing every single day to come back to work um, and come back to a situation that is not always easy working with the public as i always say is not always easy but they come back each and every day and uh, and do that for a long time so we're going to recognize some service award winners uh this morning and so when i when i call your name out and some folks were not able to be here but uh if when i call your name out if you could please come forward that would be great uh starting with 25 years uh, with Loudoun County. We had Ron Garvin, who is online. Ron, I'm going to get you for not being here. Um, but Ron, actually, uh, I was supposed to present his 25 year two years ago, and he keeps not showing up. And so, Ron, I'm going to come and find you. But this is actually 27 for Ron. Chris Kenny, is Chris here this morning? Chris is probably out working like crazy. Uh, Adam Levy, is Adam with us? I didn't see Adam this morning either. She, he's probably with, with Chris. Ray Walker is here. Ray, come on up. Ray Knight with the Adult Day Center in Lee. You can stay up, Ray. With the uh, Leesburg Adult Day Center. He's actually out on leave, so we'll get Deborah Williams. Where's Deborah? And is Susan Yaksko here this morning? I don't think so. I don't think I saw her. All right. So congratulations, both of you, for 25 years of exceptional service with Loudoun County. Jumping to 35 years, Mr. John Mattia. Some people in the room are going, I'm not even 35 years old. <laughs> Deborah Mobley, 35 years. Is Deborah with us this morning? Deborah, you're online. Congratulations. We'll get this to you. Thank you for your service as well. And I, I don't see her in the room right now, but I wish she was here because Linda Lifsey has, I think you should. Linda Lifsey has 40 years of service with Loudoun County, so she needs to definitely be recognized. So, uh, yeah, Dr. Hattrick, I believe, had 47. Is that right, Wayne? 47 years when he went out. Yeah. 
because I know Billy went out with 44 and and I asked him whether or not he could stay four more and he laughed at me when he uh when he did that when we did that so yeah All right. How are we doing on time? We still okay? All right. Let's see if she's coming. <laughs> All right, folks, let's give it up for our 40-year employee, Miss Linda Lipsey. Congratulations, Linda. All right, a couple of a uh, couple of announcements to go over. Um, I needed to talk very, uh, briefly about collective bargaining. Um, as you know, the county's um, labor relations administrator had been working to determine whether or not SEIU um, had met the necessary uh, showing of interest. Um, and they, they did notify us back before the end of the year that 30% of the bargaining un units, um, they had met that, uh, that threshold. And so there was a determination issued um, and a 10-day waiting period to see whether or not other um, bargaining unit agencies wanted to come forward. Um, that has passed. And so what that means is now they are moving forward uh, with a formal vote of the workforce. Um, that vote is going to begin on February 7th, and it will stay open until March 6th. Um, just so you know, the, the ballots are going to be distributed directly to those eligible employees uh, by a company called BallotPoint, um, and that will go to the employee's home address that they have on record with the county. Um, Ballots then need to be returned back by close of business on March 6th when that opens up. So the eligibility lists of who is eligible and who is not is being worked through and finalized by HR. There's back and forth that happens um, with uh, the labor, re, um, excuse me, the labor relations administrator as well as SEIU and the county. Um, those lists, uh, if there are any changes to those uh, or any discussions, they may be contacting you directly for some of that information. Uh, but if they uh, do contact you, make sure that you are contacting our county HR just to uh, keep us in the loop on those com um, communications. Um, those lists, if for some reason those are shared uh, with a site, uh, which they shouldn't be, but those lists do need to be kept confidential. Um, they are not to be distributed out um, for that. 
Uh, I was asked to give a reminder of, uh, for those who have gone through the training, and most of you in this room should have gone through that training, uh, the tips, um, T for threats, don't threaten or intimidate employees over joining the union, including statements claiming there will be cutbacks in wages or layoffs or anything to the like. I interrogate, don't question employees about their support of the union or intent to vote. Promises, don't make promises, rewards for um, promises of rewards uh, for opposing the union or for joining the union. Uh, surveillance, don't spy on union activity, eavesdrop on conversations, track attendance, uh, union activities, uh, et cetera. Supervising and managing in a unionized environment, that training that's going on, they have now added more training to that. So if you have not signed up for that as a supervisor, um, I would strongly encourage you to do that. And um, if you are starting to get questions now, once particularly as the vote uh, goes live, um, the best thing as a supervisor is to direct them to the collective bargaining site of the website on the intranet uh, where you have all of those um, answers um, surrounding collective bargaining. Um, and just finally, as a reminder, it is critical that all management and supervisory staff, uh, we need to adhere to that requirement to remain neutral um, about SEIU uh, and unions in general or collective bargaining. Um, we have to refrain from influencing either way uh, on um, information uh, surrounding the union. So uh, know that that is, is coming and uh, you probably have staff starting to get stuff in their emails at home uh, within the next week or so. Okay. Weather procedures. We had a uh, little bit of frozen precip here uh, recently. Um, now it's turned into a sloppy mess, but the uh, uh, guys that are in the back here, as well as the, the rest of the maintenance team, did an exceptional job. Um, wanted you to go back and review um, the facility status report um, information that we have online. Um, we can get that sent out to everybody if you all don't have that. One of the things that we're going to be doing as we move into the winter time this year is um, having a more structured communication to managers, particularly those that have sites that uh, have people in them when, when they are calling for foul weather. Um, Craig will be emailing to you all um, prior to the event just to give you an indication of you may need to activate that facility um status report form that we have online i think john you were instrumental in creating that a couple of years ago uh, so if you have not gone in and looked at that and familiarized yourself with that please do so and then the day of the event there will be communication going out to staff also to let you know how long you need to do that and at what frequency just so that we have a good real-time uh, indication of what we have in our facilities what the the weather is like and, uh, and that helps Mr. Hemstreet and county administration uh, make the ultimate decisions. I know that when we closed last Friday, um, Mr. Hemstreet had called me early in the morning and the one question that he had was, what are you hearing from your guys on the street? And, uh, and what I was hearing from the guys on the street was that the streets were awful. And that's why ultimately he went from a unscheduled leave to a closure based upon 
the information that came through PRCS along with some others. So uh, it's very important that we have uh, accurate information, particularly if you have people that are in your facilities so that we can make good calls um, when it comes to foul weather. Um, we also are going to be resubmitting uh, through NRPA for the gold medal award uh, this year. We're working on that right now. Some of you are going to be pulled into helping put that together. Uh, but one of the things that's going to be a basis for what we are doing this year is for the first time we're doing an annual report on PRCS for what happened in 2023 and what we have done. And so we want to share with you the draft of that annual report um, today. Uh, just briefly go through that. It's just a quick highlight of some of the things that uh, that happened within the department. I'm going to go over here so I can actually see. And when uh, you may have seen the video that was put on highlighting some of the things from this past year, but this, this gets into a little bit more of uh, information and detail. So you can just click through that, Noah. So you can click through that one. So it just kind of highlights who who was uh, on board as far as the Board of Supervisors, the Parks, Recreation, Open Space Board, and then it gets into the meat. And one of the things that um, uh, is going to be helpful is this next slide. This talks about our adoption of the vision, mission, equity, and values that we worked on last year. The next slide. And this is going to be a neat one that we can put into a um, – poster type thing to send out to you so that the, the the public, and this will go out to the public as well, but you look at some of the things that were uh, accomplished this last year, uh, the numbers of people that used our facilities. Go ahead to next. The different types of things that we do. We tried to put the report in a format that mirrors the strategic plan. So you'll see there's uh, there's themes going through this. Next slide, please. One of the things also that we are highlighting is the value of what you all do each and every day. Next slide. Because when you, I'm sorry, go back one slide. I jumped ahead too quick. So when you look at that, um, that $139 up there, uh, Janet and her team have been able to determine that for each household, $139 of their tax bill goes towards parks and recreation. So for $139, you get three recreation centers, adult day centers, community centers, four over 4,000 acres of parkland, all of this different stuff. So it's an impactful um, tool for the public when you're talking about uh, the value of what you all do each and every day. Next slide. And together, we continue to achieve more. Next slide. So that we talk about exceptional experiences for all. Uh, we talk about the awards that we've been, um, that, that we received, as well as this continuing to be a, a destination for sports tourism. Uh, we talk about the premier performing art space that we have and all of the different types of performances that are out there. And then some of the one-of-a-kind uh, things that have happened, uh, such as the Douglas Community Center Playground. Next. Rise to the occasion and find a way. Next. So we talk about the stewardship, you know, the, the reaching out to all in the community with our 
PRCS CARES and the discounted fee program that we have, some of the environmental stewardship programs that have happened in our parks, like the planting that happened out at Banshee Reeks and the, the partnership with the extension service um, through the master gardeners uh, so that we have the gravel beds where you, may, you know, remember the whole things where uh, some of you may not know this, but remember those uh, um, those little sapling things that you used to get every now and then wrapped in a little piece of paper and you would plant it and they would die. Um, so I shouldn't have said that, but it's true. Um, extension now has gone on to a thing where they are going to be growing actual uh, bigger trees, a higher probability of, and those are going to be the giveaways. So we've got this at Claude Moore and Franklin Park, uh, and they will be the hub of where people will go to get these uh, as well. So it's a, uh, a great program that we hooked up with Extension uh, this past year. Actually, Franklin just built that one in, uh, they finished that a couple weeks ago, but we're counting it in 2023. So don't tell anybody. All right, next slide. We lead with honesty and respect through accountability and transparency. Next. So this is some of the things that uh, that also we wanted to highlight is some of the um, innovation that happened this past year with the changes to WebTrack to PRCS Connect with the online reservations of our pavilions, uh, the uh, Stream in 3 um, curriculum that was implemented this year and then obviously that's always a, a huge thing when you think about the the CASA program and 2600 kids a day that are under the care of our exceptional staff next slide next slide so we talked about how we are trying to impact our industry by being out there teaching others uh, both at the national level and the state level, but also internally on, on how we're using uh, the great staff that we have within PRCS to help grow um, uh, the people here within our department. Next slide. And that's the end of it. So very short and sweet, but kind of impactful. Um, not kind of, it is impactful. And and as I said, we're we're looking at taking a couple of these and creating some posters that you can pop up for for 2023 look back um, and we'll get those out to you so I think you all Craig and your team done a great job uh, leadership team and many of you helped provide the input on that so kudos to you all great job on that the last announcement I want to do is is a bittersweet one that's no, not sweet it's bitter the uh, uh, sweet for him uh, many of you know that, uh, um, well, I want to make sure that you know that one of our own is retiring. So Greg Davidson, who is not here today, I'm going to give him a hard time for that. But Greg Davidson has is retiring at the end of this month. Uh, Greg has been with us for a little over 15 years and has come up through the, the ranks and has been division manager of parks for some time now. And so he, uh, he came to me earlier in the year, actually at the end of last year, and let me know that that's what he was planning to do. So he's kind of kept that a little bit secret, but I wanted to, uh, he said it was okay to bring that up today, let you all know so that you can 
reach out and and wish him well. There are a couple of things that are happening to to celebrate Greg here in the next couple of days, but uh, he has been a part of our organization for a long time, made impacts to this organization. I do tell the story, and this is a true story. About two months after he first got hired as uh, a temporary staff out, and he was working at Franklin Park, and this was 15 years ago, so Samuel was 11. Um, Samuel and I went out for the fireworks, and he met Greg, and uh, they got to know one another during the fireworks. And I can tell you that every single time I talk about work now to this day, Samuel asks, how's Mr. Davidson doing? So he makes impacts and has made impacts. So uh, be sure to reach out to Greg and wish him well in his retirement. And um, uh, that process will, will get started sometime soon um, on the other division manager. Uh, February 14th, happy Valentine's Day. Mr. Hemstreet will be presenting the budget um, that night. Um, yeah, I know, that's the only thing at night. So we'll, we should be done by 6.30ish, something like that. So um, uh, all of our stuff is in. Thank you again for all the work. It's a big ask this year with the Ashburn Recreation Center and a lot of the other internal support stuff that we have going. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but again, when you do things like this, uh, like you just saw in the annual report, it makes my job a lot easier when I go before the board uh, and am able to just go, this is a continuation of the exceptional service that we have been doing uh, for all of these years. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Um, I don't know a lot about uh, the ins and outs so far of, of what he is going to be uh, proposing. I do know that he is proposing um, uh, or supposed to be proposing some other type of um, uh, increase for staff to keep it in in line with market, but I don't know what that is. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that. There also was a recent adoption of the capital needs assessment going out through 2040. Um, there has been a lot of talk through that process of adopting and going back and looking at our standards, particularly the PRCS standards. Uh, recently, with the adoption of the master plan and the linear parks and trails plan, we adjusted some of our master or our uh, capital facility standards on how we plan for parkland and, and things along those lines. And uh, the board is interested in having further discussions about that. So we'll uh, we'll be in the uh, in the boardroom quite a bit probably over the next two years talking about that. So um, and there is going to be some changes to uh, operations coming up with the NeoGov that's being launched. Uh, the one that impacts us, uh, I think, immediately is the ATR. Is, is that correct, Liz? Are you going to say anything about that later? Or can you say something about that later? Okay. I won't, I won't try to talk about something I know little about, so we'll go from there. All right. I want to also, uh, there's some new faces in the audience, so I want to welcome everybody. And is anybody here besides the ones that we just recognized with uh, awards? Is there anybody who is their first meeting with us today? All right. So would you like to sing first or should I go back here? Just. 
Hi, I'm Holly Bailey, and I'm the new manager at the Ashburn Senior Center. Welcome, Holly. Hi, I'm Abby Devlin, and I'm the new Trails Program Coordinator. Recently from? What? Recently came from? Dulles South, the greatest. All right. Anybody else? All right, well, welcome, everybody. Okay, we've got a lot of different presentations today, and you're probably going, thank goodness, so he can sit down. Um, but we're going to kick off uh, with human resources update. Liz, you want to take it from here? Good morning, beautiful people. <laughs> Good morning. Um, all right, so today I just want to do the refresher on our policy for reasonable suspicion. So you can find this on our intranet. It is an admin policy, so that's the location that you'll go to. This is a little better, I guess. So you're going to go to HR 29. Um, I'm just going to highlight a couple of important pieces of information. It doesn't come up often, but if it does, this is the first place you want to go to review what is expected of you as a supervisor and what we need to follow for the policy in order to be compliant. Um, so, let's see here. Get my old lady glasses out. All right, so if if you're you have an employee and they should your employees should be aware of this as well because there is a part for that they would play potentially. Um, if you're an employee, not a supervisor, one of the first things that you would do if you have a coworker um, and there's a suspicion, odor, whatever observances they they see in these behaviors that may indicate someone um, is under the influence of a substance, is they would notify their supervisor. Um, in the reasonable suspicion policy, you would want to make sure that there are two or more supervisors that observe the behavior before anything, any next step takes place. So it can't be a coworker or two coworkers uh, with no supervisory responsibilities. It does have to be two supervisors. It doesn't have to be the person's supervisor to clarify. So if there's a supervisor on one end of the building, just get a different, another supervisor and just uh, make sure that there's observations made. The two supervisors would talk, uh, come to some conclusion. Yes, I think that there's a reason to suspect this person is under the influence of something. Um, and then the next step would be to address it with the employee. And you would obviously do that in a private confidential setting. Um, you would make sure you ask those questions. 
you can ask first, are you under the influence of anything right now? Um, the next thing you would do is make sure that you contact, and if you see, you can scroll down a little bit. I don't know where you are on there. Yeah, right there. So the procedures are next. So you would want to make sure um, there's a contact there. That's actually the main number for HR, county HR. You can call them because that's where risk management is located. And they, they could also provide you with some guidance or guidelines if you have questions about what you've observed, um, if you're unsure of what the next steps should be. Um, that's not covered in this policy for whatever reason. Basically, there are forms that you would then present to the employee. One would be the authorization or the consent to test form. And this is, they are available Monday through Sunday. There are a couple of different locations that you would have to look at though to decide where you need to send somebody. Um, there's also a refusal to test form. So this policy is based off of chapter three, chapter three out of our HR handbook, um, which is the 3.1 drug-free workplace. And so you can also remind the employee at that time, this is a policy in our handbook, which all employees are responsible for reading, understanding, and following or abiding by, um, and that these things apply to all employees. So if they refuse to test, they do have to sign a form. That, that form, all the forms that are mentioned in the policy can be located on the intranet, or Katie Sandin, uh, who is our risk person, can also help you find them. And if they refuse to test, then we need to make sure we provide some form of transportation home call a taxi, not you necessarily, but help them. Um, but a refusal to test is essentially a positive result. It'll be viewed as a positive result. So that, that will then, we will proceed with some form of discipline up to and including termination. And then last but not least, if they don't refuse, hopefully they don't, and we have to then also provide transportation to one of the facilities, the testing facilities. The main one would be Filigree Court, which is Ashburn Ock Health. Um, workers comp, that's the same location, it's up in Ashburn. And then the other site would, and I think on the weekends is actually um, in Leesburg, it's Cornwall. So that's where we would, on the weekends, they'd be transported to Cornwall. Again, Katie Sandin can help you if any of you have additional questions above and beyond that, or you're not really sure what steps next to take given whatever the circumstance may be. Um, I'm trying to see last, but not least, after the, you would always want to make sure that obviously your supervisory chain is aware immediately and then um, as well as myself so that I'm aware that something may be coming or I have a heads up so I can reach out to Katie and just make sure that we get those test results and we communicate that so that we're aware here was the test, here's the outcome. Um, and that's pretty much the gist of the reminder just for that um, policy today. Do you all have, anyone have questions? I see one. Elizabeth. Oh, so Elizabeth was asking if it's after hours, do you need to call somebody? I would make an attempt to call the main number or to get Katie on the phone. She's on teams. You can usually, she'll have, usually she's available. Um, but I would make sure that if you call these numbers, it'll tell you it's got the numbers in the policy so that you can contact them directly. And what it does, it, the policy does also make clear is when they arrive or when you transport them, make sure that they know beforehand that it's for reasonable suspicion. Okay. Anyone else? 
No. Are you responsible for transporting them in your own vehicle? You should not. I don't want you to put yourself in that position first and foremost. Um, you could always call an Uber for them. You could get someone else, a taxi, somebody else to transport them. Anyone else? Yes, sir, Ray. You could use a county vehicle to transport them. Um, it's better than using your personal vehicle because at least it's covered under county insurance. Again, I would, it, the policy states arrange for transfer, arrange for um, transportation. So I don't know if it, I would recommend that we try and not be involved in that. So have somebody, a taxi, call them, put them on your P card, whatever, send them on their way. Mm -hmm. Mila said, just for these folks down at the end, that basically, essentially, especially rather, um, if you feel your own safety is potentially um, an issue because of whatever the person may be influenced under, that's another reason to not transport. <laughs> very uh, unexciting topic today, but at any rate, um, any any other questions on this, Shauna? That's a that's a good. Uh, so Shauna said, what happens if you um, confront someone and, and tell them that you believe that there's suspicion that they're under the influence of something, then they just leave? What do you do? And in that situation, you can't prevent someone from leaving. I would probably I would recommend that you advise them it's not not a, not safe, not a good option. And again, make immediate contact with your supervisor. Anyone else? All right, so just to quickly touch on Steve's comment about um, a couple of highlights with our NeoGov rollout, which we're all very excited about. Myla especially, she's used NeoGov in her previous um, life and loved it. So I'm, we are, I think we're all very excited about the change. One of the primary things that it will immediately help us with is that it's not a two-step you have to submit the authorization to recruit form, which is something that we do through internally through HR here. It has to go over to budget and then it has to go to HR and then it comes back and then we can start the recruitment. With NeoGov, when the manager goes in to initiate um, the job ad, it, it's a one-stop shop. So as soon as you do that, it triggers the ATR process through NeoGov. So that already is a, an efficiency we're gaining. Um, and then we, they've offered trainings. I know some people may not have been able to enroll because they did have a cap on the online training. They are offering additional online trainings. Don't panic. Um, and they are going to record them and post them because they go through stuff very quickly. So even my team is like, whoa, we want to watch this probably three or four more times. Um, they did have a separate training for HR liaisons as they did for HR man or for hiring managers. So once they, they have published, they are going to be doing a handful more trainings. What's really important right now is that if you are currently in a hiring process or you know you need to start a hiring process quickly in February, they will not give you access to NeoGov to post a job until you've had that training. So it is required. You have to go through that training before you actually can access NeoGov as a hiring manager. The workaround for that, if you weren't able to get into any of those classes, is just to reach out to us and we can help post a job for you in the interim. 
Um, and then again, they're they're going to continue, from what we understand, coming up and uh, with additional training opportunities. They're all online and they will be recorded. So I don't want to get too too in the weeds on NeoGov right now because um, I don't think I'm prepared to answer all the questions. Uh, but we're very excited that this is replacing job apps in our process as it is today and has been for the last several years. So what happens to the recurrent recruitments right now, our team is working on essentially migrating everything over into NeoGov. So Rondell Brooks, Fernando, and myself have, and Hadia, um, we all have parts in that process. The temp positions, Rondell and Fernando are working on moving over, open until filled. We're gonna have a hard close date at some point because again, we don't wanna have them posted in two different places and we're screening all those apps and it's just redundant. So um, Angie, Judd, who is our workforce planning person over in County HR, is working on migrating all of the regular postings. We do have a hard stop, so if or a hard close date. You could still post in job apps um, if it's a three to five day posting, but just know that everything comes down on the second. So there's nothing that's going to be available uh, to apply for on job apps after February 2nd. Everything after February 2nd will start to be posted on NeoGov if it's not already migrated. Um, from the current ads. We can't transfer applicants. What will happen is you'll still have access to the job apps portal. You can still, we can still pull the referral batches from job apps. It's just, we don't want to start any new recruitments um, in job apps if we're just going to turn right around and post them in NeoGov. So uh, any of the, we will have access to job apps for approximately six months after February 2nd, and then they're gonna archive it. So they're working, we're working right now um, diligently in our group to um, close out a lot of the open things that we had that have been filled for quite a while. Um, and then if we need to, there is an option um, if we have to go back in for whatever reason, I don't think anybody in this room would need that, but for my team's purposes and just for transparency's sake, if Rhonda Allen said if we actually need to access anything in job apps after that date, they could potentially contract through DIT to um, still have access to it. Will applicants lose access to their master application in job apps? Likely not until No, that's a great question. So it, I'm an employee or I'm an applicant out in the world. I've applied to Fairfax and I've used NeoGov and I've created a master application in NeoGov once. I come to Loudoun and I wanna apply for a job. I can't use my master application. It doesn't transfer from job apps, but I don't have to create a new application because I already applied through NeoGov even though it was another agency. So it kind of stays with you. So any agency that participates or is um, using NeoGov today, that's another benefit that we gain from that because we also, if they've posted their own job descriptions, we have access to those. We have access to, right now they've loaded in Loudoun alone, over 700 job descriptions in the NeoGov. So it should be a lot more, a lot more seamless for us um, as hiring managers and as HR. Um, liaisons to be able to hire people and onboard, and hopefully this will shorten the time to do so. So 
Short answer is no, master applications won't transfer. If they've never applied to any job in NeoGov, they will have to create a brand new master application. Oh, got a question. A couple questions down here. NeoGov. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't I can't answer that question. Myla has had experience as a hiring manager, so she probably can give ex her opinion. So when I've had situations like that in previous jobs where we would have postings that stayed open like that for long periods of time, NeoGov has a timestamp in it so you can filter by the, the application was received and go ahead and filter out everybody that's two years old and only see maybe like 90 days if that's what you want to do. So it should work the same because remember I used an older version. I've used it in the time I've been here. So I've used an older version and it did that then. So it should still do that now. Any other NeoGov questions? Go ahead. So job apps is the first part that's going to change on board. Our internal hiring system is not yet. So you'll still have access to onboard. We don't even have a date for you when we'll filter onboard out because they have to get that part of NeoGov launched before we can stop using our onboard system. So until they get the hiring part launched, which is not going to be in February, <laughs> we're going to still be using our internal onboard system to go through the hiring process. So we'll keep you informed when we have more dates. But right now, we don't even have a date for their launch of the hiring process for us to get rid of our onboard system. So you're still going to use that for a while. Patrick. It shows your referral list, and Fernando does a training on this, but it's not as simple like Patrick just said. You have to open up different trees to get there. 
but if you need to do that now, you want to be able to do that. Fernando does a training on it and you could reach out to him and he can send you those step-by-step -step instructions of how you reach out with the trees. In NeoGov, it's simpler because you just hit a filter. You don't have to go through multiple trees. Is that it? Okay, so more to come on NeoGov, but please attend the trainings as they open them up, especially if you have postings that are going to come up because you absolutely have to attend training, like Liz said, to be able to post your positions. Thank you, Myla. One last tip, which we've learned, um, same thing with collective bargaining training because that's also a requirement for you to attend as a supervisor. It's not optional. DHR is adding more trainings, but they're not telling. They're not broadly communicating it, I think, and because they fill up so quickly, if you want to be proactive, just go into Oracle and go into your learning little section, um, and you usually can find where they've added more there, and then you can register for either or both if you haven't already attended. Okay. Thank you. Sorry we went over. Thank you, Liz and Myla, and thank you all for the questions. I know oftentimes when we're in big groups like this, the question gets raised and you see some faces out there going, thanks. I appreciate them asking that question because I was just thinking the same thing, but I didn't raise my hand. So Abby is up next and she's going to talk to us about uh, some marketing material as well as some registration to start time. So, Thank you. Hello, everybody. I come up here sharing information that I want to make sure you're aware of. Um, the things that I'm sharing are efforts of our marketing and communications crew and our customer service. So um, we, as you hopefully all know, we've had our activity guide registration um, start at six um, at um, 12:01 a.m. So our general registration for the activity guide each season has started pretty much at midnight. And in the effort of our work to provide a better customer experience, we awesome. We are um, we've we have done a bit of outreach. We have um, met with the leadership team. We have talked with our customers, and we have talked with some staff. And I wanted to make sure that you all know, effective with our spring activity guide. We will start registration at 6.30 a.m. And it's an opportunity, hopefully, where the customers don't have to stay up late to register. We know that we'll have um, some people that have swim classes they'd like to get into or other very um, desirable classes. So there'll be some people that um, will go through the process and maybe share that you know there wasn't classes available, but no matter what the time is, um, those classes are limited. And so we know that we're working through trying to add more swim classes and trying to address where we have deficits. So just want to make sure that you're aware on those peak days, the first day of registration each season for general registration, the trips um, for senior trips, day trips and overnights, that's not changing. That's going to stay at 9 a.m. Um, so that I'm sorry, what? It's yeah, it's always the day before the general registration. So Wednesday for senior trips, Thursdays for general registration. And then um, another item that we've adjusted is when preschool registration will open up. 
Um, and preschool registration was at 10 a.m. and now it's going to 8.30 a.m. So just making sure everybody is aware of that. Um, Emma Charles worked really hard on getting information together for um, the change of the activity registration time. And um, she and Crystal have put together a piece that is in the activity guide that's coming out. And there should be flyers that have been shared with your rec centers and also the MVIC slides. And then um, Craig and Ben have been working to share the information through email blasts. So really working to make sure the customers know. So before I move on to my next tidbit, any any questions on the registration change time? I, I did. I just saw Noah. I just wanted to put one plug in is that Noah has reached out to VSI, let them know our peak registration dates, and they're going to be monitoring our system. If for some reason we get a surge, they'll add more resources to help people be able to register. So hopefully we don't have issues there. Don't don't be Fairfax. OK, sorry for Fairfax. But um, if you hadn't heard, Fairfax County had a crash on first day of camp registration, which None of us would like to be in that position. Sorry for them. So um, and then the next piece um, is that, you know, we continue to, as a Marcom team, create pieces to spread the words about our wonderful work that we do. And um, we have created a, um, a bifold that explains everything that is offered in PRCS, pretty much a short bullet and we've been sharing that information with the sites i just wanted to encourage you all to please place it where the public can find it or if you go out to outreach events if you could take some with you that would be much appreciated um, we've also created or updated um, the adult day centers um, information piece it's a trifold and it's available if you'd like to make have some at your site i brought resources over here for you guys to take with you if you'd like and then we also um, updated the home delivered meals program. So all wonderful tools to share with people that come in or people that you interact with and let them know that we are providing those services. And then um, we also have um, updated folders. They're over here. So we've um, rebranded them so that you're able to um, put all of our information in one handy dandy spot. And these are available over here if you haven't gotten them. And we also have um, display materials that Crystal coordinates if you'd like. We have a big stand-up 10-foot high um, backdrop, and we also have retractable banners. So plenty of tools to help present our information. So that's all I have right now. Any questions? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Abby. Where is Sue? Sue Dance. All right. Next up is Sue. She's going to talk about EPAC. Good morning. Um, so I'm just going to give everybody a little bit of a recap on where we're at with our EPAC implementation. So um, hopefully most of you have been attending our team meetings and um, paying attention to your emails and training sessions that I've been sending out. We have um, currently been meeting regularly to discuss all of the implementation pieces and to um, give people opportunities to bring up anything that they see as a concern or a, maybe a, a procedure that they have questions about how's that going to work now with EPACT. And we've been addressing those as they come up. Um, 
One of the things that's come up recently is what do we do with walk-in customers? And um, every center and front desk has an iPad available to them. We will be able to uh, allow the customer to fill out their EPACT information on the iPad um, at the facility if they choose to come in in person, but we will not be taking paper forms and uploading them, okay? You're not, not gonna be scanning things in and putting them in folders like you did with LaserFish. Uh, they can take a picture on the iPad of any documents that they need to upload. It will not store it on the iPad. It will go directly to the cloud in their or in their uh, registration forms. So they will have everything at their fingertips to do what they need to do, but it will all be online and automated. Um, marketing and communications that have been working to put the information out on our websites, on the registration sites, and in the um, activity guides and camp guides to let parents know that this change is coming. So they've been getting the word out to everybody that way. We have training starting Friday and into next week for the customer service folks, anybody who's been doing forms approvals, um, anyone who's managing the fact that the forms are all in for these folks in their um, programs. It's about an hour long training. It's gonna be um, a Teams meeting. There'll be time at the end for questions and answers, but it's very straightforward. Um, the software is really intuitive. It's really easy to use and everything shows up in a dashboard. You've got everything at your fingertips. You can drill down into the kids and look at their information. You can filter, you'll see rosters. So you don't have to go look stuff up in a form somewhere that's saved and open the form and look for that information. Um, it's gonna make the both the staff and the parents very happy when they get in there and see how easy it is to use. So I'm really excited about it and, and everyone who's seen it is has been excited about it as well. Um, we did have a meeting recently to talk about non-licensed programs um, that were using some of the registration forms in LaserFish and um, we've decided that for this year, we'll continue to do the process that they've done in the past. They can continue to use the LaserFish forms. It's kind of a pick and choose how everyone's been using it because that was not for license purposes. So we are gonna reevaluate all that um, after we've launched and gotten our feet wet and see how everything works, then we can look at moving that stuff into um, EPAC for next year. EPAC is also doing some development for new features. They've got, um, they're, they're redoing their check-in, check-out features. So we'll reevaluate those um, later as well. And there's a possibility that we can put everything on the same platform eventually and um, not have to use Brightwheel. Um, but right now they don't, um, they're not up to speed on that part of the program. So Brightwheel's better. We're not gonna make people change away from Brightwheel this year. They'll still be using that. Um, 
They're also developing some tools that will allow a little bit more flexibility in which forms you have to fill out. So as that comes online, that's what we'll reevaluate um, going forward for those non-licensed programs, because that will work better for, for th things that aren't quite as structured and you may or may not need to fill everything out. Uh, next week, we're working, um, Noah and, um, and I are going to be meeting with EPAC to turn on the integration with RecTrack. It's going to pull over the rosters, basically, and let us um, do all the testing for that. And we'll be doing a mass update to set the flags for all of the EPAC-related activities. We can't put those in yet because we haven't turned on the integration, um, but we'll be doing that next week. So anyone who hasn't already sent me their um, activity and uh, section codes for any of their licensed programs, please make sure that you get those to me in the next couple of days. We want to make sure that anybody who's expecting their rosters to come into um, EPAC that we've that we're not missing anything. We have all the key main um, uh, information for the big programs, but there's a lot of smaller camps and such, especially at the community rec centers, that we may not be aware that that's operated as a licensed program. Um, so pre-registration starts February 6th for preschool and um, licensed childcare in the centers. That's going to be our first registration through EPACT. So um, we're getting excited about that. Uh, bless you. And um, we'll be collecting all the forms. The first forms will come in for preschool. So you guys are going to be our, our first testers, our guinea pigs. Um, and as we go through that, I encourage everybody, if you see a, an issue or you have a concern or a question, please let us know right away. Don't, um, don't assume that, oh, they already know that's happening and somebody else will tell them because this is our first time. So we want to catch any hiccups as quickly as possible and address those. And then we will be having more training for the end users, like the preschool teachers and people who are just going to see this the information for the participants, but aren't necessarily working with trying to collect the forms or make sure they're there or do the approvals. Those folks will get trained right uh, prior to when their programs start. If we train them now, they may not even be the same people that are here when we when we start those programs, and they'll probably not remember what we've shown them. So we're trying to do our training more a little bit just in time where we train about two weeks before those folks are needing to start using it. That way it's fresh in their mind and um, they won't say, oh, I don't remember anything they told me six months ago. So um, any questions about anything? I've been trying to keep everybody up to speed and sending out emails and inviting people to trainings and meetings. So hopefully you're, you're not in the dark here. Caroline has a question. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, Caroline just asked the question, what if you add some more camps and things later, or you have like a, 
a one day camp or a community like a snow day camp or something that you add, um, you can let us know about those. But also once we have done the initial, um, we're, we're gonna do a mass update to put all in those flags on the initial ones. But after we've done that, um, when we've made the integration live, then we'll, I'll be sending out instructions too um, for how to flag any new items as being EPACT. Um, it's really simple, it's just a checkbox, it, but it's in the section and I'll let everybody know how to do that. Again, you can't do it yet because the fields aren't available until we turn on the integration, um, but that will be something that we'll show you how to do once you're able to do that for your new codes. And also, if you have items that you clone, like you have them register in section 99, once we've um, updated those with those flags, if you clone from that, it will include the flag in your new items as well. That was a good question. Any more questions? Nope, okay, I appreciate everybody's input. We've had a big team working on this. Lots of people showing up and, and giving their feedback and input. And I just want to thank everybody who's participated. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. Um, so we've talked about this quite often, um, not necessarily EPAC, but this is just another example. What Abby was talking about, what Sue was talking about is in order to be the best, you cannot ever settle. You always have to be asking the questions of how can we do things better? How can we do things different? And, and these are just examples of how you all have stepped forward and said there is another way that we can do this that is providing better customer service, better communication, uh, ease of operations for you all. And part of the um, uh, discussion that we've been having internally as well. You saw it earlier with the PRCS CARES, with the fee reduction of trying to make sure that we're reaching everybody uh, in the community. Um, and this next training and, um, by Megan is going to um, help us to continue down that path. We're, we're very fortunate to have uh, somebody on our own staff that focuses on inclusion and is an expert in that area. So I'm going to invite Megan to come up and she's going to talk to us uh, through this disability training. And uh, I really encourage you to pay, pay close attention to what she has to say here because it will help us to do what we want to do uh, along that journey of being the best by uh, making sure that we can reach everyone in the community. So Megan, thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. So I usually start every training with passing around a bucket of fidgets. Um, so I'm gonna start here. I, if I don't have enough fidgets, my desk is covered in them. So just come to my desk and get one. And for those of you that are online, um, I am at the admin office here in Leesburg. So just come get a fidget whenever you need one. Uh, and then I also do like to preface and say, I do all my trainings so they're a little bit interactive. Um, but if I'm making eye contact with you, I promise I'm not going to call on you. Um, so don't feel awkward. Don't look away. Um, this is all for your benefit. So it, at any point, if you have questions about what I'm talking about and how it's going to apply to you, your specific program or your staff, just interrupt me. I, we don't have to wait to the end. We're not in school. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, this is for you to get what you need out of the training. So uh, I'm Megan. I'm the inclusion specialist in Loudoun County Parks and Recreation. You can go to the next slide. 
So today we're going to talk about what inclusion is specifically how inclusion looks in Loudoun County Parks and Recreation and where the push for inclusion came for in parks and recreation agencies across the United States in general. Then we're going to talk about ADA basics, which is really fun. Um, that's a bunch of legal stuff. So we just have to all be on the same page and understand that we do have to adhere to some legal stuff in terms of the ADA when it comes to our customers. Um, then we'll go over how you guys can reach out to me, how you can request inclusion support and when it's appropriate to request inclusion support. We'll also talk about the different types of documentation that you should familiarize yourself with. Um, and then we'll talk about what support staff we currently have available in the county for inclusion and what their roles look like. So what is inclusion? Does anybody here know? Yeah, making sure everyone can participate. Anything else? Yeah. Everybody feels welcome. Yeah. Next slide. Yeah, so if you want to put in a bunch of fancy words, um, inclusion is going to be where we are actively trying to create a world in which we're tearing down socially constructed barriers. Has everybody heard the word um, or the phrase social construct? Yeah, so a social construct is something that's not an actual rule, like it's not set in stone, it's not really written anywhere, it's not a law, but it's something that generationally as societies we've kind of subscribed to. And so how we view people with disabilities and inclusion, a lot of that falls under social constructs. So back if you had a child in the 1950s that was born with Down syndrome, the social construct back then was the doctor was gonna tell you that child didn't have any kind of quality of life they were probably encouraged to send that child to an institution. And we used to call them institutions back then. But now it's 2024. Uh, if you have a child with Down syndrome and a doctor tells you that, that's grounds for like a lawsuit. Um, they do have quality of life and they are gonna come to our programs in Loudoun County Parks and Recreation. They are gonna register for stuff. They don't have to go to an institution and we actually don't use the word institution anymore. Um, we use words like group home. We don't use words like facility. We use words like program. Um, we got rid of some of those words because of the negative connotations that go with them. And so we're trying to kind of flip the script when we talk about stuff. Um, so inclusion is also, like what was already said, a world where everyone feels welcome regardless of any form of diversity. And so a lot of that is on us to create that. It's not up to the individual to come to us and say, hey, I have this form of diversity. I want to make sure that you guys are going to do something to make sure I'm welcomed. We should be proactively doing that. And that's why we have this position of inclusion specialist. And it's why we have a program of adaptive recreation. Okay, so another fancy way to say it is that we're removing barriers that prevent individuals from participating and benefiting from all of the benefits of parks, recreation, and leisure. Um, so you might have seen it. It went around social media. It's been going around social media for a couple of years. It's an image where there's like a ball field and a barrier, like a wooden fence, and there's people of three different heights. Um, so that is a visual representation of how we tear barriers down. So when people register for our programs here in parks and recreation there are things that we have to do sometimes to make sure that we tear those barriers down and that's where like the ada and accommodations come into play um, but we can also do that proactively where we don't have to make it so that people have to request everything so like an example of that would be for you guys that manage preschoolers if a 
three-year-old preschooler, the parent shares my child has Down syndrome, is very independent, can do their own personal care, does not need help with toileting, but they are gonna need frequent bathroom reminders. Do we have to make them put that in as accommodation? No, because that's still age appropriate. We're still telling three-year-olds that they need frequent reminders to go to the bathroom. Just because the child has Down syndrome and they're requesting this of you, doesn't mean that that needs to be an accommodation because it's still age appropriate. If the parent says, my child has Down syndrome, they have, they also had like a medical condition where it makes them difficult, it makes it difficult for them to recognize and the muscles when they need to go. So you have to give them frequent reminders and you might have to assist with wiping. Is that an accommodation? Yes, that would fall under an accommodation. And it's because you guys are probably familiar if you're in preschool, um, one of the things is they have to be potty trained to register, right? But that's where accommodations come into play. And we can take children with disabilities if, you know, that need help with potty training, if it's directly related to their disability that they would need assistance. So those are kind of examples of where we can proactively tear down barriers versus where we kind of need to put an accommodation in place, but then we can tear down that barrier as well. So next slide. Something that people also don't realize is that inclusion isn't just for people with disabilities. Um, it gets kind of confusing because inclusion is housed under adaptive recreation, which is specifically for individuals with disabilities. But we also have to make sure we're being inclusive of racial and ethnic minorities, the LGBTQ plus community, as well as immigrants and refugees. And there are a variety of resources. So for that, I really just encourage everyone in this room to know the background of the areas that you're working in and where you're gonna need support in terms of these other three. And then you can reach out to me and I can connect you with resources. So a big thing for that is know what other languages are spoken in the areas that you're working in and make sure that you're putting out marketing material that is inclusive of other languages. Not like you'll notice that we have um, the footers in English and Spanish, but those aren't the only two languages spoken in Loudoun County. So make sure if you're putting out flyers and you're noticing that you do have a large population in your community center, um, but you're not putting out, you know, language that they can easily read and translate, make sure you're reaching out to get that translation service. Next slide. Okay, so there's four key things, super easy. Most of us are already doing these to make sure that we're promoting inclusion in our everyday life when we're at work. Um, you just wanna acknowledge that other people's feelings and experiences matter. So if a parent comes to you and they're making a complaint, because that's usually when parents come to us, about a program not being inclusive or they feel like their child's being left out or discriminated against, the first thing that you really need to do is just acknowledge their viewpoint and where they're coming from. Um, they live a totally different life than us. We have their child for maybe four hours. Some of us even only have that child for one hour. If it's like a specialized program, they have their child every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And a lot of them, especially if you are working in a community center where preschool is happening, this is the first time parents are finding out that their child might have a disability or some form of diversity. And it's very hard. Um, so we want to be that first line that makes it a positive experience. And we don't wanna be a negative experience that causes them to not seek out services for that child. Um, we also wanna welcome and embrace all forms of diversity, choose to open your mind, and then demonstrate active listening. 
everybody should know what active listening is. Okay, next slide. And then um, I always throw a quote in. So inclusion is not bringing people into what already exists. It is making a new space a better space for everyone. So that's a good way to kind of summarize how we should view inclusion within Loudoun County Parks and Recreation. All right, what is the ADA? Great job, everyone. Okay, so the ADA is the Americans with Disabilities Act. It was formed in 1990. It's a civil rights act that protects individuals with disabilities in various areas. Um, you can go to the next slide. So um, it's gonna protect them in areas of job, school, transportation, and all public and private areas. Next slide. All you really need to know about the ADA um, is that we fall under Title II, which is state and local government. Um, it's not a choice. We do have to adhere to the ADA. Uh, we don't wanna be one of those agencies where we end up getting a lawsuit and then other agencies have to learn from us. Um, one of the, so a lot of times when I have to manage like an ADA or request and there's some pushback, I'll pull cases that have already happened where agencies have been, you know, they've violated the ADA. I'll pull the case study. Um, one agency that we really don't want to be like is the YMCA. I'm always pulling case studies um, and court, you know, proceedings from them where they did violate the ADA for very simple things. Um, so we don't want to be one of those agencies where they're now pulling one where Loudoun County was in the news. Um, so if you ever have any questions about what's reasonable, if this falls under the ADA, if you're doing anything correctly, just go ahead and reach out to me. Um, it is a very touchy subject. And a lot of times I notice you guys feel pretty uncomfortable um, in what verbiage you can and can't use, which is totally normal because that's not the job that you guys chose. You didn't choose to specialize in the ADA. You didn't choose to understand everything about disabilities. I did. Um, so it's fine if you're uncomfortable, you don't know what to say to a parent, if you want me to attend a parent meeting with you. Um, I do those quite frequently. I'm very good at difficult conversations now because of it. Um, so just reach out. Uh, next slide. So what you need to know about the ADA is a term called reasonable accommodations. Um, it's probably my least favorite term, reasonable accommodations, because the word reasonable is a little bit subjective. Um, people think it's up for interpretation because you're using this word reasonable. So what's reasonable for one person might not be considered reasonable for another person. And that can be really hard to understand. So it takes somebody who's very neutral and can look at it from all perspectives and viewpoints to understand what really would be a reasonable accommodation. And I do get a lot of pushback sometimes about um, well, centers or programs, they don't think that it is a reasonable accommodation because they're not used to doing it. Uh, and that's totally normal because change is hard for everyone, whether we accept it or not. Uh, so sometimes the things that I'm going to tell you are reasonable, you might feel very hesitant about. They might seem very difficult. You don't know how you're going to make it work. Um, but I'm not ever just going to throw you in and say, you need to make this change. Um, do it now and I'll check back in. It's usually I approve an accommodation, I put all of the steps in place, and then I come out there and I make sure that it's facilitated correctly. And then we'll do some follow-up. But there is also a point where you guys have to communicate back to me because I don't have the time in my day to go visit all 100 something kids um, that we're working with. 
So make sure that you are following up with me if something's not working, which is fine. Maybe sometimes the accommodations aren't appropriate and we have to go back to the drawing board, but I'm not gonna know that if nobody tells me. So reasonable accommodations under the ADA are for both employees and customers. So I mostly handle the ones for customers and then HR is gonna handle your accommodations for employees. Employees will come to me sometimes for like, thinking that they can request accommodations and I can kind of coach them through what the process looks like. But then if you ever get an employee that comes to you or you, you yourself want to request an accommodation, you go on the internet and there's a whole um, page for the ADA accommodations for employees and ex it explains it all very well. So for customers, they do come directly to me. So you can go to the next slide. Um, oh, well, it got messed up. But so they're at, everybody knows the footers that go on your marketing material. Can you go to the next slide? No. Yeah. Okay. So um, they are provided to you in Canva. If everybody is familiar with Canva, um, if you aren't super familiar where to find these, you're going to go in Canva under brand and then under graphics. And they're not always at the very top. You might have to scroll. There's a lot of graphics. Um, and then these are the two you're going to go with. So they're provided to you in English and Spanish. We need these on all of our marketing materials because we do have to advertise that we comply with the ADA. And we do have to let people know how to request accommodations. And so that accommodation and ADA statement is right there. So they're gonna email adaptrec at loudon.gov or they can go ahead and call the front desk. That They can do that as well and then they'll direct it right to me on a phone call. Um, Accommodations don't have to be made just in writing. As soon as a parent says it, that they want an accommodation, if they say it to you verbally, that's the first step of the process. I prefer everything to be in writing because everybody interprets verbal conversations differently. So parents might think that they have said one thing when they might not have said it or it got interpreted differently. So as soon as a parent says to you that they want to make an accommodation, direct them immediately to that adapt rec email or directly to my email if you have my business card and then have them email me specifically what they're looking for. And then I usually go ahead and, and I will either schedule a phone call or a Teams meeting, whatever the parent's preference is, and then follow back up in writing with them so that we are all on the same page about what exactly they need for their child and how we can implement that in our programs. And then can you go back one slide? Okay, the other thing I wanna to touch on that does fall under the ADA is the differences between service animals, emotional support animals, and therapy animals, because you will occasionally see these at your programs, at your centers. Um, the only animal that is protected from these three under the ADA is gonna be your service animals. So service animals are allowed access to all areas of our facilities, all areas of general and private life. Um, service animals can go in grocery stores, they can go in restaurants. And there are only two questions that you are allowed to ask related to a service animal. So if you see someone come up to you in an area of parks and recreation where typically we do not allow animals. So for example, if somebody walked into uh, here, like the main office or something with a dog, the front desk would be only be able to ask them two questions. Is this a service animal? And they would say yes or no. If they said no, you would remind them that animals are not allowed here. Um, but if they said yes, then you can ask the second question, um, what service does it provide? 
You're not allowed to ask anything related to the person's disability. You're not allowed to ask them to demonstrate the service for you. And you are not allowed to ask for any kind of documentation because there doesn't have to be any documentation, which gets very confusing for people. Um, if you guys watch anything on social media, there's some really obnoxious people that'll go around like interrogating people with service animals and asking for documentation. Um, there is no such thing. Um, sometimes people who have a service animal will print out a little card so they don't have to ask a lot of questions because it does become overwhelming. Um, and a service animal doesn't have to be trained by a specific agency. You can train your own service animal. Um, the only requirements of service animals is that they are well behaved when they're in public. Um, and you're going to know the difference immediately between a service animal and somebody who's lying about having a service animal. A service animal isn't going to acknowledge anybody that's around them. They're not going to acknowledge external stimuli. They're going to be very well behaved. Um, and they're going to be very attentive to their handler versus a maybe an emotional support animal or somebody who's faking having a service animal. Um, the dog's going to be rowdy, jumping on the tables, uncontrollable, and clearly not providing a service. So just be very careful. Um, if you get a lot of pushback on that, um, or if you have somebody who's frequently coming to your rec centers that you have a question about, just reach out to me and we'll figure it out. Yeah. No, so legally under the ADA, the only service animals that are recognized right now are dogs and miniature horses that are under a certain height. Yeah, it seems funny, but miniature horses are actually, um, yeah, but they're also really beneficial for individuals who are blind or who have any kind of movement disorders like cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy, because they're sturdier than a dog. So if they're using them for any kind of balance or gait mobility, um, a horse is going to be easier to grab onto than like, you know, my little mutt. Um, and then let's touch briefly on emotional support animals and therapy animals. Emotional support animals are not protected under the ADA. Um, they can be anything. You guys might have seen in the news, um, someone brought a gerbil or a hamster on a plane, said it was an emotional support animal. They were denied access, so they flushed the hamster down the toilet. Um, Obviously, that animal was not providing any services if they were okay with flushing it. Um, someone also brought a peacock on a plane, uh, claiming it was a service slash emotional support animal. It's not. Um, so we do not have to allow access for emotional support animals to any areas where animals are not typically allowed. And then therapy animals are... Um, we utilize them in adaptive recreation summer camps sometimes. It's usually going to be another agency bringing an animal in that's trained to provide therapeutic services. Um, so like equine therapy, sometimes horses will go and provide um, therapeutic benefits to individuals with disabilities or just people in general. Um, we'll do therapy dogs sometimes at adaptive recreation camp. Typically, the only two you really see for that are like dogs, horses, and sometimes cats for therapy animals, but they have to go through a program and there will be paperwork for a therapy animal. So if you want to utilize therapy animals in your program, that's great. It provides a lot of benefits, but make sure you're picking an actual program designed for that and not just some random person that you saw has a dog or a horse because they have to go through a certain amount of training. Okay, next slide. Or
All right, so now we're going to talk about how you can request inclusion support. So there are a couple of questions you want to ask before you request inclusion support. Uh, first of all, you want to make sure the person actually has a disability that has been disclosed. You never assume that anybody has a disability, even if it's right there and it's visible and it's in your face or you know them outside of work, you know them personally, we're never assuming that they have a disability and that they need to request any form of accommodation or inclusion support. They have to have some kind of documentation or they had to have verbally disclosed this before we're going to refer them for accommodations or inclusion support. So you can, we'll go over what the documentation that's appropriate looks like on the next slide. Um, but so another time when you can request inclusion support is if they do start the process of requesting an accommodation. So a customer comes up to your front desk and they start immediately talking about they want to register their adult child for fitness classes, um, but their child has cerebral palsy and they're requesting an accommodation. That's when you start the process right there. And then uh, another time you can request inclusion support is if you want to do any kind of individualized or group training for your staff or for yourselves. Um, I have a ton of different training topics, so I can come out there, I can train your staff on behavior management, disability awareness, any kind of sub niche group of disability population we can do training on as well. Next slide. Um, so this is just an example. There is, it's all case by case based on what the actual accommodation is, but this is kind of what the request process looks like from start to finish. Um, so a request um, is going to be made for an assessment of inclusion support. Um, I'll review that. I'll get any kind of necessary information. Typically, when you request inclusion support from me, I'm going to reach back out to you and ask for any and all documentation you have. So make sure you have all incident reports that are related to that participant um, or any email communications, anything like that. Send it to me so I know what was already said to the parents, what the parents have already said to you, or what behaviors or emotional support we're already dealing with so that I don't have to go back and talk to the parents. And it becomes very overwhelming for the parents when we have to start this process. Um, so the more background information I have going into it, the better experience we give to the customer. Um, so we'll review all of that. I'll typically schedule a meeting with either the parent then or with whoever made the request, depending on the case and what's being requested. Um, we'll come up with a plan if an accommodation is necessary, if it's made, if it's deemed reasonable, if we need to work through it. Um, we'll do all of that with the parent and with you guys as well. And then I'll schedule kind of a time to come out there, possibly do an observation. If I've already observed the child, I won't have to do another observation. Um, I'll just come out and I'll plan to help implement that accommodation. And there is no real time frame for how long it's going to take me to implement an accommodation. If it's something um, like for a child with autism and we've got to get them on like a routine and a schedule, it's anywhere from like three days to two weeks. Um, if it's something as simple as doing a personal care training, I can do that in two hours. Uh, and then the follow-up. Next slide. All right, so now we'll talk about what documentation is considered appropriate for disclosing about a disability. Um, so there's also two links here. So um, is everyone familiar with like something called the health and skills form? It's also labeled the disability and medical needs form. It's on Laserfish right now. Um, the parent or guardian, or if it's an adult with a disability, they can do the form themselves. Um, it's like six, 
ish pages. It details basically everything you would ever need to know about that individual. Um, it'd be pretty cool if all of our parents just did it because you never know. It's really helpful to know everything about a child. Um, but so that's going to be really helpful. It's going to give you everything related to their diagnosis, medication, personal care, nutrition, safety, how they are in a group setting, what their interests are. Um, and that's going to be your baseline for this child. And then uh, up there is the link at the end of this meeting when everybody goes back to their regular lives. Um, I'll follow up with an email with all of the links that you need to contact me. Um, so don't worry about taking pictures or memorizing the link. You'll get that in your email. Next slide. So that is our only internal parks and recreation form, the health and skills or the disability and medical needs. These other four forms here, um, these are specific to children with special needs, but also um, in Loudoun County, um, special education is gonna go up to age 22. So that does go from 18 to 22, you're technically considered an adult, but you can still have the this paperwork for an individual in that age range if they're still in school. So uh, the first form that would disclose a disability would be an IEP. That's your individualized education plan that comes from LCPS or any other public school entity um, if they're from out of county. Uh, that would disclose their disability and it's going to have a lot of very uh, personal information. So that is only to be shared with individuals who actually directly work with that child. Consider it confidential. Um, not everybody needs to read it. And unless you're doing something that does kind of involve curriculum or education, it's not going to be super transferable. Your next one is your 504 can be similar to an IEP, but it's not as detailed. It's usually one to two pages. It just says um, this individual has a disability. Here's the accommodation. There's no goals. Um, there's no timelines. There's no follow-up stuff. Um, 504s are not as popular in Loudoun County, but they are very popular in our neighboring counties that are lower income or more rural where the funding isn't as plentiful as it is here. Uh, and then another one is your behavior plan, also coming from LCPS. It's abbreviated a BIP, B-I-P. Um, that's going to be super helpful for any child that has any kind of behaviors that are more on the negative side. Um, and we can transfer that usually to the majority of our programs. Um, that's where I would come in. I'd usually help you translate that so that it's applicable to our programs. Um, and then get that started. The other thing is the LCPS sharing of information form. Um, teachers are very empathetic people, so they will violate this all the time and we don't wanna get them in trouble for that. But unless the parents have explicitly filled out this form and said that they can talk to us, um, they can't. So we wanna make sure as soon as that teacher starts talking to you, that you go back and say, hang on, I gotta get this form. Um, because anything that teacher shares with you is supposed to be confidential. And then we can't go back to the parent. So we can't say, hey, the teacher came to me and said, your child has um, you know, autism, if the parent has never said that to us. Even though we both fall under Loudoun County government, we are separate. Um, so all of that is confidential until we have this form. Next slide. Okay, and then we'll touch briefly on support staff and their roles. So we're really just going to talk about um, what a one-on-one -on -one is because that is a frequently requested accommodation right now in Loudoun County Parks and Recreation. Next slide. So a one-on-one, -on -one, we are trying to only place one-on-one -on -one staff members in programs where it has been requested by the parent 
as an accommodation under the ADA and deemed reasonable. Um, the reason that we're really trying to only place those right now is for budgeting. Um, it does, it can really mess up your programs when you're adding an entirely extra staff. Um, so we have to be able to justify that. And so the way to justify that is to have it as an accommodation. And um, we get a lot of requests for one-on-ones. So we're, I'm not approving every request for a one-on-one -on -one because a lot of times these kids, they don't need that and it would cause a regression and it would be bad for them. Um, so I would say though, probably about like 65 to 70% of the time we are approving those requests for one-on-ones. Um, so right now we don't have an actual like pool of staff labeled one-on-ones in parks and recreation. So it's myself working with you directly to see if there's a part-time staff in our like camp pool or a trip assistant pool that we can pull the hours from that's available at the time that you need, or if you guys have a sub in your own sub pool that's available that we can place as a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, there's a lot of layers that goes into trying to place a one-on-one -on -one right now. Um, and we're troubleshooting through that, but it is a little, difficult sometimes. So sometimes we have to end up telling the parent we can't accommodate this right now, but we're going to start the hiring process. And as soon as we get someone on board, then we can start your child. Um, so if you have any questions about staffing, how that works for reasonable accommodations or ADA requests, reach out to me. If a parent ever asks you a question about that, don't, um, don't ever just try and feel like you have to come up with an answer on the spot. It's totally okay for you to tell the parent, I need to get clarification. Um, and I'll have myself or somebody reach out to you. Uh, the only other important thing about one-on-ones, if you're a licensed program, um, we do not count one-on-ones in the ratio. So like, let's say you run a program where the ratio is one to 18 and your max is at 36, and then we place a one-on-one. -on -one. So now you've got three staff. Still consider it that you have your two staff. So if you have a call out, that one-on-one -on -one is not gonna go in and fill that call out. You still have to put a sub or something for your call out because the reason we're putting a one-on-one -on -one somewhere is because that child needs one-on-one -on -one assistance from a staff member for the majority of the entirety of the program. So they would not be able to take care of a one-on-one -on -one child and 18 other children. Next slide. Um, okay, so that's pretty much it. Do you guys have any questions? It's a lot of information. And the other thing I didn't really touch on, but if you're at a park um, or you're at an older building in the county um, and you have questions about if like the grading or the accessibility in terms of physical features, um, maintenance does take that into consideration when they go out and they do everything. But sometimes wear and tear um, 
all of that, or just, you know, over time, things can become less accessible. Um, so if you ever need like an audit done about if your building is meeting compliancy, you can reach out to me and we'll schedule that. Anything else? Cool. Thank you. Great job, Megan. Um, just to close up, thank you all again for everything that you have done this past year. And thank you in advance for what's coming up in this next year. We've got a big year ahead of us. Keep up the great work. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Uh, and I hope you all get some time to enjoy the weekend with the rain. So that's nap time for everybody. Yeah. So thanks again for everything. Oh, sorry. International Festival. Uh, pick up your flyers. That's going to be down at Claudemore Recreation Center. Uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday. So uh, be sure to come out and enjoy that great festival. Megan, do they? Do you need the fidgeters back? Oh, gifts. All right, enjoy. Thank you all.